Thank you for playing, Margie, as the offering was taken. Thank you for your faithful generosity. It really does make a difference, and we are grateful for what you enable us to do through that generosity. God is using you uh, not only as givers, but as servants as well. What a blessing it is to be a part of a family that truly loves the Lord. Well, earlier this week, something horrible took place at my house. My kids were playing in the front yard, and I just decided to go outside and to watch them. And I took my folding chair that was sitting on the front porch already, and I moved it over where I could get a good view of them, and I went to sat in it, to sit in it. And I went straight through it. It was ridiculous. Uh, There was... uh, I'm sure it was just weak. My wife was explaining to me that it was probably from the weather, from the sun and the rain and all that, but I went to sit in it and I just went straight through. Uh, My kids thought it was great. Uh, I I didn't find it as humorous as they did. Actually, that really did happen this week. You know, sometimes pastors stand up and they say things and you wonder if it's true or if they're just saying it. That really did happen to me this week. But I really just shared it more as kind of a a fun way to be able to introduce the topic this morning. I've actually been losing weight. I've been working on it for uh, several months. I had gotten up to about 232 pounds. And I have been working with a couple of different things. Uh, I actually have an app on my phone that keeps track of my calories and uh, making sure that I'm not eating too much. And then I actually have an exercise app as well that helps me to keep track of how much I've walked each day and how many steps I've taken and all that. And I know that there have been multiple occasions, even this week, where uh, comes down to the end of the night, and I realize I haven't gotten all my steps in, so I'll have to go for a walk for, unfortunately, sometimes closer to an hour, uh, just to make up for what I was not doing already. Uh, but the the purpose of sharing that is basically to say that uh, I do have a plan, and I do intend to get healthy. And as we look today, I want you to recognize that we need a plan. And I'm not just talking about physical health-wise, I'm talking about spiritual health-wise. It is important that we have a plan, it is important that we are ready to enact that plan, that we are able to follow through on the plan that we put in place. I want to share a passage with you this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-8. through 8 that demonstrates this for us. And while we'll read the passage as it's written, our primary focus today will be on the last few verses, verses 6 through 8. Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, but pay attention when we get, especially when we get to verse 6. It says this, and I believe that it'll be on the screen. I could be mistaken. Uh, I'm going to read it anyways. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. 
but rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, I told you we're going to focus primarily on verses 6 through 8 there, but there is something that caught my attention in verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 4 and 5. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That includes Ben and Jerry's ice cream. If it is received with thanksgiving, it should not be rejected, and I do my best to do that. But understand that as I do that, I also must take care of the the thing that God has given me, my body. In the same way, we must also take care of the soul. Let me give you a little background on this passage. First, know that it's written by a man named Paul. He was the Apostle Paul as he writes to his protege, a man named Timothy. Paul had been a church planner who would go from town to town presenting the message of hope and redemption to people who knew very little about Christ. He typically would lead hundreds, if not thousands of people to Christ in each of these cities. But at some point, Paul would have to leave. He would move on from that city to another where he would go and again proclaim the hope, the message of hope and peace that only Christ could give. Well, Timothy is that guy in Ephesus who basically he is taking over as Paul leaves. He's Paul, by the way, I, I was uh, uh, reading something that said that Paul actually walked somewhere over 17,000 miles in his life preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is amazing to me. The idea that someone, his entire ministry was about going from one place to another for the sake of presenting the gospel message. Well, what happens when you leave? Do you just leave people to fend for themselves? Paul had a plan. There were individuals like Timothy who basically he would leave behind so that they could lead the church moving forward. In fact, it suggested earlier in 1 Timothy that Paul was more than just another preacher, but rather Paul was one that uh, led Timothy to Christ in the first place. And I say all that basically saying that Paul is now sending word to Timothy, emphasizing all the things that he ought to be doing as a pastor as he leads these people. Now notice that as he addresses him, he doesn't instruct him on what the church fellowship meals should look like. He doesn't address whether it's okay to have a church softball team. He doesn't get into the office hours of the church or church attendance or anything else like that. Instead, his primary focus is on the need or the call for discipleship. Now, as we look at verses 6 through 8, he is basically telling them, this is what you must do. This is what you as the pastor must do, and this is what you should expect of the church. We are called to make disciples. I know that I'm a pastor, so I probably look at this passage a little different from some individuals here today. My first thought goes to the question of what makes a pastor successful. 
Part of that is because as a pastor for the past uh, 20 plus years in ministry, I have seen pastors repeatedly celebrated at their district conferences and in multiple districts in North Carolina East, in Colorado, in uh, Pennsylvania, and even here. And we have seen individuals, pastors, celebrated for their success. But I don't know that I've ever seen anybody celebrated for discipleship. It's always about church attendance numbers. Now, the argument could be made that if you're truly discipling people, then your church will grow in numbers as well. And I get that. But Paul, in verse 6, says that basically if you are a good pastor, these are the things that you will teach. These are the things that you will do. It's not about how many people show up at your church on Sunday. I will tell you that to me, I want to know that we're reaching people. I want to know that there are people that are coming and they are being fed. But notice that just because you come does not mean that you are being fed. A successful pastor is defined by actually teaching the people what they ought to be taught. It's not enough to teach people to be good. It's not enough to teach people that Christ needs to forgive them of their sins. That is a valuable lesson, and we need to know that. But God didn't call us to make believers. He called us to make disciples. This call to make disciples is not a new idea in the New Testament church. In fact, we see it clearly instructed in what is typically known as the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. In this passage, Jesus is addressing his disciples, the people that he spent the last uh, three and a half years pouring into, ministering to them and allowing them to, in turn, minister to other people. And he addresses them, and at this point, Jesus has already been crucified, he's already even been resurrected, and he's giving them instructions, this is what you must do. He said, therefore, go and make believers. Actually, that's not what it said. Therefore, go and make church attenders. Actually, that's not what it said either. Go and make disciples. There is a difference from being a believer and being a disciple. There is a difference between being a regular church attender and being a disciple. It's not that I don't want you to believe. It's not that I don't want you to attend church. It's not that I don't want you to tithe or to serve in the ministry of the church. I want you to do all of those things. But God did not call me to go and make people who will simply do those things. He did not call you to make people who will simply go and do those things. He called us to go and make disciples. Well, as we consider the call for us to go and make disciples, the question has to arise, what does discipleship look like? The first thing that I'll say is that it may look different for different people, but the one thing that is clear is that it doesn't happen by accident. It's not something that randomly happens. It's not something that, you know, we'll see, just see what happens. You know, we'll try it this way. We'll try this way. We need to have a plan. 
We need to be intentional to make sure that we are discipling. There's a model that's given for us in Scripture, and of course it's Jesus with his 12 disciples. He lived with them. He ate with them. They talked about ministry. They served alongside each other. He reminded them of the things that they knew from the Scriptures. He continually pointed them to the Father. Everything about his life was on display. And I would suggest to you that an effective model of discipleship is not just you taking some class. It's not just you reading something online every morning or even reading a Bible verse that you send to somebody else. Effective discipleship is in many ways what happens when we live together and we intentionally push each other to experience more of Christ. Many of us are really good at creating fellowship opportunities. That's when we just kind of hang out with each other. We kind of, maybe we eat together. And you know what? That was a part of what Jesus did. He did enjoy fellowship with his disciples. I wonder, you know, we have four gospels that really depict Jesus's experience with his disciples. And what happens is there is some overlap with the stories. You know, there are certain stories that were repeated multiple times. But you got to know, we probably don't have every one of the experiences that Jesus had with his disciples. Actually, I wonder what some of their meals must have been like as they sat and they talked about the things that had taken place. We're told about the feeding of the 5,000, where you had the five loaves of bread and the two fish. And what a great meal that must have been. But I even wonder about the meal that followed directly after that. The next time they sat down to eat and they're looking and they've got seven fish and four loaves of bread and thinking to themselves, boy, we're going to need an army here. Because if he fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, what's he going to do with all this? Imagine some of the meals that they participated in, the things that they enjoyed with each other. I share that more than just a speculative thing. I share that to point out that we must be living lives together as the body of Christ. I think there was a time in the church's history where we typically would spend a lot of time, our week was centered around church life. And in many cases around America today, church has been reduced to one hour on Sunday morning, where we spend time listening to the preacher, and as soon as the service is over, we leave, and we'll see you again next Sunday at 11 o'clock. And what has happened is church making disciples, enjoying each other's company, and helping each other to become more like Christ has taken a back seat. It's about that worship experience on Sunday morning as opposed to actually making disciples. We need to make sure that we are making disciples. Jesus was very, very intentional to make disciples. He knew that he was only there for three and a half years. And at the end of his time, either the ministry would die with him or the ministry would continue to flourish afterwards. Because of the discipleship that took place, the ministry blew up after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. The Holy Spirit comes upon these individuals that Jesus has poured into for three years, and all of a sudden, these people who are filled with the Holy Spirit have been discipled by Jesus Christ, are ready to do the work of the New Testament church. Imagine the work that could be done if we too were willing to participate in discipleship if we were willing to invest in other people's lives so that truly they might become more than just believers, but rather they might become 
ambassadors to Christ. As Peter and John went to the temple following Jesus' crucifixion, you've heard the story about the the lame man who was begging for alms. And Peter looks down at him and he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give freely. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and he walks. What a great story about the power of God. I think sometimes we get focused so much on the miraculous work that was there that we fail to recognize that what Peter and John were doing was they were already pointing people back to Jesus Christ. He doesn't just say, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give freely. Get up and walk. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Actually, when he's brought before the Sanhedrin, Peter and John are brought before the religious ruling council, the Sanhedrin, they are chastised, they are rebuked and threatened. Not because they healed somebody, but because they did it in the name of Jesus Christ. The point was, these were people, Jesus Christ physically was not there anymore, but they were his ambassadors. They were proclaiming that Jesus Christ is alive and he still has that power and authority. Well, what if you were the disciple? What if you were the one who could proclaim that Jesus Christ is alive because I've experienced it myself? In many ways, we have the privilege of offering that same hope to the world around us, but we cannot do it if we are only believers. We are called to be disciples. We are called to make disciples, and we need to take that call seriously. I mentioned the intentional nature of discipleship. It fits with our passage this morning. It takes a lot to become an exceptional athlete. Certainly there are those who have natural athletic ability, but natural athletic ability is never enough. Sure, they can be the best in Little League or in high school or even in college, but if if you're ever going to make it to the big leagues or to the pros, then you have to be intentional to put the effort in. You have to practice. You have to build up the strength. You need to repeat the work over and over and over again. We must be intentional. The passage tells us that there is some value in the physical training, but it pales in comparison to spiritual training. So my question to you as we, in many ways, begin still, what are you doing to spiritually train? Are you spending time in God's Word? Are you spending time with the rest of the body of Christ? Are you spending time serving the community of Christ? The theme of this church, the mission of this church is to make disciples who will make a difference. I will tell you that that's a really lofty statement. It sounds very simple, but when you really think about it, it's really a big deal. God called us to go and to make disciples. Well, what does that actually mean for us to go and make disciples? And, you know, there's many of us, we would look at it and we would probably think to ourselves, well, that means we need to have classes that teach discipleship. We need to have a Sunday school class where everybody will sit and they'll listen. And when they walk out of that class, they will technically be a disciple. But that's not really what discipleship is. Nothing wrong with a Sunday school class, nothing wrong with a small group that teaches on discipleship, but being disciple makers does not require just a teacher or a preacher to stand up and tell you about it. 
that call in Matthew 28, 18 to 20 was not a call for a select few to go and make disciples and everybody else just, just gets to kind of hang out and be the sponges to soak it all in. The call was really to all of the body of Christ to go and to make disciples. What would happen if every individual in this church made the choice to disciple one person? To intentionally, first of all, that begins with maybe we need to share our faith with somebody. Maybe we need to introduce someone to Christ. That is the first part of it because if, if they don't know who Christ is, it's going to be hard to really make a disciple. What if you were the one to share with a neighbor and they came to Christ? And then you walked them through what it means to live for God. What if every person in this church took that seriously? I was telling you earlier that churches celebrate the numbers in the churches. When there is an attendance growth, pastors get recognized at their district conference. And I think that's wonderful. But do you know that if every one of us was truly discipling somebody else, we would never have to question whether or not a church was growing? Because we would be reaching the people in this community. I'm told that there are 96,000 people in this particular Pickens County area. Most of which do not attend church on a regular basis. What if each one of us chose to do a part of discipling this community to truly reflect Christ? i got to tell you, I believe that this community would be changed and this church would be changed. Because what would happen is it's no longer, church isn't about me. It's not about what I want. Church isn't about the pastor because the truth is what you're doing is you're doing the work yourself. Even if I was a, which maybe I am, I don't know. Even if I was a, a poor preacher, if you are doing your job as disciples, this church will grow. Even if the music was horrible, and you listened to it and you thought, oh, what are they singing? If you are doing your role as disciples, making other disciples, this church would grow. Because it's not about the individual. It's about Christ and him receiving the honor and the praise. I wonder, do you see yourself as a disciple maker? Jesus talked about fishers of men. He talked about individuals who uh, basically they would make their lives mean something. He's talking to the disciples, the people who would become his disciples. He says, I will make you fishers of men. And often we have considered ourselves to be fishers of men because our goal is to go out and reach the lost. That makes us fishers of men, right? And probably everyone in here would consider yourself that. But here's my question. If you never go fishing, are you really a fisherman? You may know a lot about fishing. You may have tools that could make you a good fisherman. But if you never go fishing, are you really a fisherman? The same question comes with disciple making. A disciple is not just someone who has been led by another. But then they turn and they do the same thing for somebody else. So here's my question. Are you a disciple? My hope is that every person in here would say, yes, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. But truly, a disciple is also one who 
offers discipleship to another. Not just who receives it, but one who gives it. We need to recognize that it's not just a call to discipleship, but there is a need for discipleship. Verse 1 of our passage today says, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. This is actually a reference to things that we should expect to happen today because we live in a culture that is continually becoming more and more perverse. It is so easily so easy for those in the body of Christ to get sucked into things that do not fit with the Christian faith. In fact, Satan is very smooth. What he will do is he will try to make it look as Christian as possible, but still pull us away from what is actually truth. 75% of converts to the Mormon faith come from the Christian faith. Why is that? It's because we have a surface level of knowledge of our faith, so that when we hear something, we immediately assume, well, I guess that sounds accurate to Scripture, but we really don't know because we haven't spent time in God's Word in the first place. We need to be a people that are being discipled. We need to be a people that are learning what it is to be a child of God, so that when those other ideas come, we are ready to stand firm. Paul understood that, and that was why he had that relationship with Timothy, where he continually poured into him. He'll send a total of two letters that we have, basically saying, this is what you should teach. This is what you should do. This is how you should live. Why? Because Paul was continually invested in Timothy. He cared about him. He wanted to make sure that Timothy would continue the work of Christ. Let me ask you, who are you investing in? Who are you pouring into so that they can be the next generation of the Christian church? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Paul is speaking to him as one who he knows Timothy should know what he's supposed to say and do because Paul has discipled him. I wonder who has discipled you? Who has poured into you throughout the years? Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a grandmother. Maybe it was your spouse. Who has invested in you walking as a child of God? Some of you right now are picturing people in your past and you celebrate those individuals because without them, you realize and my relationship with God would be almost non-existent. You needed that. Who will the next generation look to as the people who poured into them? Will it be you or will it be somebody else? As a dad, I tell you, I struggle with this a little bit because I want to be the one who invests in my kids, spiritually speaking. Sometimes I get caught up in the busy side of ministry. There's always something to do. There's always something going on that has to be done. Uh, there's always someone else who's crying for attention, and often there are very legitimate needs that are present. But I have to remind myself over and over again that my greatest investment ought to be in my kids so that they might be the church of tomorrow so that they can look and say 
I'm a child of God who is faithfully walking in Christ and serving him because I saw it modeled from my family, from my father and from my mother. Who will look to you and see you as the one who offered them discipleship? The last thing that I want you to see today comes from verses 2 through 5, and it is the value of discipleship. Let me read the verses to you again. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. There is great value in discipleship. As we are discipled, what happens is we are able to stand strong when we are tempted to fall short. When we are tempted to give in. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 declares that, But in your hearts we must revere Christ as Lord, calling us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this in gentleness and respect. The call is for us to be quick to be satisfied, to be firm, to have a foundation that is settled long before we are tempted or we are challenged or our faith is pushed to the limit where we're not sure if we can make it. We must be certain that our hearts are set solely on Christ first. That's where discipleship comes in. If we are being discipled, what will happen is it will affect everything else about us. I want to challenge you today. There's another verse here, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. But I want to challenge you today to make sure that you are first of all being discipled. If you do not have someone who is pouring into you, then you need to find that individual. Maybe it's the pastor. Maybe it's one of the former pastors. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's someone in your family that you just have an incredible amount of respect for. Every one of us needs to be being discipled by somebody. But to take it a step further, I believe that every one of us ought to be pouring into someone else. Every one of us ought to be investing in the lives of other people. I'll tell you, this is a challenge that I've offered even to our staff. Every person who is considered on staff at the church, I expect them to be discipling, mentoring at least three people constantly. There should be at least three people that each one of them is mentoring. And the idea is, let's say right now there are five staff people. That means that during this time period, there should be at least 15 people at a bare minimum, bare minimum that are being discipled. We do that for six months. And at the end of the six months, you get three new people. So now each one of us is discipling 15 more people. But remember what I said earlier, discipleship is not just you now believing, but then you being able to disciple others. So those 15 people that were discipled initially, each one of them should then be discipling somebody else. Boy, if we really use that model, imagine how big of a difference we could make in discipling this community. 
Because now you've got 15 people who have been discipled, but now you've got them doing 15 total people, and then we are now discipling 15 more people, so now we're discipling 30 people. Uh, However many months down the road, you do it again, and you do it again. Do you realize that if each of us took this call seriously, within less than two years, within less than two years, this church could be responsible for discipling I'm talking every one of us, literally 5,000 people in this community. You say, Pastor, I don't know if you got your numbers right. Absolutely, they are correct if each one of us did that. And then those people that we discipled, discipled somebody else, 5,000 people in this community in less than two years could be discipled if only we would take that call seriously. Sometimes you think, well, I don't know that I can make that big a difference. Really? Do you think seeing 5,000 people discipled in this community would be worth doing? I think that it would. And I believe very firmly that God wants to do some ridiculously incredible things through us. But we must be willing to be a part of that process. Are you being discipled? Are you discipling somebody else? Today, The message is really about training. Next week is about game day. Uh, We're still in that same series on uh, sports, on football. Today is about training. What are you doing to be discipled? What are you doing to disciple someone else? It's not an emotional message, but it's a challenge. And I want to ask you, will you be a part of that? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for the call that you've placed on us. Thank you for the fact that you have empowered us to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. Lord, I pray right now for each of those who, right now as we have talked about discipleship, they are recognizing that they have never truly been discipled. Lord, I pray that you would bring someone to their mind immediately that would perhaps be that individual who could disciple them. Lord, I pray that you would open up the door for them to recognize that they can be far more than they have been in the past. Lord, I pray that you would also prepare on their minds other people that perhaps need to be discipled. But sometimes we feel so small and we think that we can't do a whole lot. But looking around this church, And seeing the potential that could take place if we would each fulfill our individual roles is amazing. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts whom you would have us disciple. I pray that as you open up that door for us to pour into other people's lives, that we would be able to play a role in them truly experiencing you. Lord, use these people. And do a mighty work that we could not do on our own, but we could through the presence of your Holy Spirit. We praise you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I do want to thank you guys for the role that you guys play in discipleship. Uh, There are several individuals that I've spoken with here in this church who celebrate individuals who poured into them so that they could be the children of God that they are today. So I thank you for that. But I do believe that every one of us, not just a few, every one of us, according to Scripture, is called to fill that role.
to disciple the rest of the people around us, to help them experience Christ more intimately. I hope that you will take your role serious in that, and as you do so, that God will do incredible things through you. Thank you so much for being with us. I do want to just remind you we have the trunk or treat tomorrow evening. If you are planning on setting up your vehicles, I think that you guys are supposed to, we're going to be here by about 5 o'clock. I know that um, the, the event doesn't actually take place until 6.30, but we're going to be here really from about 5 o'clock on. So if you want to come and set up, we would love to have that. If you brought extra candy, uh, there's still a basket that's out in the foyer. You're welcome to do that. But we're going to have a great time, and we're going to be a hope and a light to this community. I'm so looking forward to you being a part of that. Thank you again for being with us this morning, and go in peace.